0: There's a letter I wanted to read for you. Anytime a pastor reads a letter, usually it's bad. Just throwing that out there. But we got a letter from the president of Open Bible, and I wanted to read it for you. It says Dear Aaron, it is my honor to salute your church for its exemplary giving to Missions Venture Plan in 2021. Sunshine Open Bible Standard Tabernacle in Des Moines, Iowa has been identified as one of our top 10 MVP contributing churches for the year. Rejoice. Significantly, the church's MVP giving grew from $23,997.40 to $53,088.43 in 2021. It says thank you for your leadership in encouraging the congregation to give and minister Christ's love in the USA and globally, it has been obvious over the years that the size of the church is not the most significant factor in MVP contributions. It only happens with leadership. Because busy people in a busy, busy world need to focus on matters of eternal significance. As I think about our missionaries, church planters, and other servants who are supported by your MVP contributions, I am reminded of Hebrews 6.10. It says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. Please let your congregation know they are appreciated and convey to them my affirmation Thank you for your partnership in ministry. May 2022 be a year of increased faithfulness for the Lord. So church, pretty soon we're going to have this nice certificate of appreciation hanging up that says in 2021, Sunshine Open Bible ranked fourth in the nation. Out of 243 churches. Now it's time for a little bit of transparency here. I was upset and I thought we were going to get second. Yikes. Um, and so if you, if you know that, that this year... This year we have placed a focus on community. But the building blocks that we have put in place, I don't want us to forget. You guys understand what I'm telling you. So so for missions, like we, we, we take an offering for missions once a month. We took a special offering, offering recently for Ukraine, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But we take a regular missions offering once a month. That is your chance to go above and beyond your tithe and, and give and know that 100% of it goes outside of this church. But the church has also embraced that and 10% of your regular general tithe and offering is automatically going to missions. Now that's, that's a great thing that we've decided to do. However, I want to encourage you, that's not you making the decision to say, okay, so I know my money, 10% of it goes to missions. I'm good, I don't have to give anything to missions. That's not what we're asking. We're asking, let's, let's go above and beyond. I do personally. Uh, all our pastoral staff, I encourage them to do so personally, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Now, with that said, uh, we recently took up an offering for Ukraine, and, and the church said we want to do a match of whatever you give. And, you know, we had a board meeting this week, and we talked, and we're like, you know, we want to go above the match. And so bottom line is uh, probably this week we're going to send a check for about $7,000 for the Ukraine. And so, so you know, if you haven't heard... This is for refugees from the Ukraine that are currently in Poland, and these are open Bible churches ministering to refugees, and they're helping place them in homes. So this is directly involved with our denomination, and we're excited to be able to support that. So if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33, you know what? I have had a week I'm not going to say it was restful, but I've been back from the Dominican Republic for a week, so you are going to get hopefully the best of your pastor this morning, as I haven't preached for, oh my goodness, four Sundays, because I was gone for three weeks, and it was a uh, it was a circus just getting me here last Sunday, so... Um, if you're in your Bibles of John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33, just hold your spot there for a moment. But I would just like to say to me, going through the book of John, it is, it is a blessing for me and it is a test of my patience. There's a lot, there's a lot of preaching in the book of John. And you know, there's sometimes where I open it up and I'm like, man. You know, I, I, I have this on my heart to also speak, and sometimes I fit it in, and sometimes I say, but God, you, you planned this with a purpose, what's your purpose in this? And I want to remind you as we're going through the book of John, this is so that we can discover who Jesus is, his function and purpose, and John particularly, he gives an intimate detail of who Jesus is. And as Jesus is talking to them today, what he's starting to do, he has talked to them figuratively for so long. And John doesn't express all that figurative language, but the other three Gospels do. And what Jesus is starting to do as he's nearing the end, he's in the final few days of his ministry uh, before he dies and is resurrected. And, and what is taking place is Jesus is rolling back the curtain and he is starting to speak to them very plainly about what's going to happen. Now, as I looked at today's message, and I'm I'm trying to relate it and understand how we minister this to the church today, and it's titled, Sadness Turned to Joy. Sadness Turned to Joy. You know, when I look at the church, and I can't speak for you this morning, but sometimes the church in general, not our church, but the church in general, is full of very negative people. Can I get an amen to that? The church is full of negative people and it's some of the most negative people honestly I've ever met and, and it can be for many different reasons whether people in the church are they're, they're daily focused on the doom and gloom of everything that is going on around them or they are so full of cynicism of others and the state of the world in general that they're just they're, they're just not fun to be around. Now I would just like to say The church should be full of the most optimistic people in the world. Are you guys hearing me? The church should be full of optimistic, joyous people, not negative people, not people that drag each other down, but people that are constantly lifting each other up. You guys hearing me, church? Because I'm worried you're deaf. Because we should be celebrating this from the rooftops that Jesus Christ came to live and die for us. And that is the reason we sit here as free men and women today but if we look at the world with those worldly eyes, the state of what's going on in our nation, with the economy, take the cost of food, the cost of gas, understanding world events that are taking place right now, it can be easy in that mindset to become cynical. It's easy to walk in sadness. It's easy to have a view of of Overall everything is just bad. Everything is negative. If we want to, we could think that way. But when I study God's word and I understand who God is, I learn that those mindsets it does not reflect him. It doesn't reflect him. And now there are times in our life where it is reasonable for us to respond to something in anguish over over events that have taken place. But often, how we carry ourselves through trials ministers who God is in our lives to the world. Now, I'm going to be honest I am the poster child for not always doing well with my emotions. You know what, when when I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s, I was one of the most cynical people you'd ever meet. And I think it was the, the Spirit of God that beat it out of me. To where now if I'm around cynical people, I I, I have one or two options. I can feel it in my flesh where that, that is starting to creep back in. And so either I join in in that cynicism, or I'm repelled by it. And... Many of you know my story. Some of you here haven't heard our testimony before, but Wendy and I got married when we were 19 years old. In our very first year of marriage, Wendy got very sick, a sickness that was supposed to take her to her death. And I've discussed in church before that I had a crisis of faith at that time. And what happened was, I, I, as when we got through it, I learned from that mistake. I looked back, and I, I had decided that is something that I can never allow myself, that is a place I can never allow myself to get to again. And so I have to recognize there are things that make me prone to depression. The last trip I was on in the Dominican Republic, I'm going to tell you, man, that trip was like Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong, did. And I can tell you the project got done, but it was painstaking. And I realized that this, uh, th- th- these moments, it is a test of my character and whether or not I'm going to truly rely on God as my strength or am I going to try to rely on my own wisdom. And so I, des- I-, I determined in myself that I'm not going to allow myself to complain about the circumstances that I'm facing. Yeah. And we have to continue to trust God and look to Him in every obstacle. Let's look at John chapter 16 verses, verses 19, excuse me, 19 through 28. And what we're doing is we're picking up in the middle of a conversation, but you're going to get the full scope of what's going on, picking up halfway through this conversation. Let's read. It says, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so they said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said in a little while, this is what he was telling them, I said in a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. How offensive would that seem at the time? You'll weep and mourn over me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly and He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and I will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and what it brings, the truth that it brings to us. And Lord, I ask that today we will be focused on, God, what You can do when we trust in You. When we take our eyes off the worldly things and we think the way that you have asked us to think and allow you to transform our minds, I thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I read this and I thought about how we often deal with grief and how we all process grief differently and and going through life's trials and circumstances and and, and the way we might respond to it. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples here, he was facing this very near and present reality. This was within six days of him being taken and beaten and suffering and dying. And so Jesus, as he's gone through his ministry, he, is, he has understood human life and, and the emotions that accompany tragedy. If you remember just recently, uh, as Jesus was accompanied there uh, in, in the, uh, the death of Lazarus, and, and he showed up four days late, and he is witnessing all the emotions of the people around that witnessed his friend Lazarus die. And Jesus gets there and they're, they're looking at him. If only you had been here. And he sees Mary and Martha, his, his sisters, and uh, Lazarus' sisters, and the people that are around that are devastated by this death. And it also said that Jesus, witnessing all this, in John chapter 11, verse 30, 35, that his response was he wept. Jesus witnessed human emotion. And now he's dealing within himself in knowing what he is getting ready to face, and, and that he is alluding to that they are going to face much grief and sorrow for what he's about to go through. So he took a pause, he took a step back, and he had a, he had a moment to recognize how his disciples might process these events. So I believe what Jesus is trying to do here, he is trying to prepare the hearts of his disciples. Who knows that in your life preparation is not always useful? There are times it is, but there there are times where preparation is not useful. So imagine if I told you that you are going to leave this church and later today something bad is going to happen to you. That's all I tell you. Something bad is going to happen to you. And I can only imagine how you might start immediately becoming anxious. And you're thinking, well, when? When this is this going to happen? And starting to freak out. Is it going to happen on the drive home? Is it going to happen when I walk into my house? What is going to take place? And then so we, we all of a sudden, we raise this distress level immediately. And we begin to panic. But what if I told you that what you're going to go through today Even though it is going to be difficult, it is going to set you up for your future and the rest of your life. It is necessary to go through in order for you to get to that place where you can celebrate great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, my defenses would come down a little bit, and I'd I'd start to reason, well, you know, what is it that I'm going to have to go through in order to get to that place where I'm ultimately going to be happy? For you, maybe it won't calm you down. Maybe it would. But clearly, Jesus has been speaking figuratively to his disciples, and he's starting to speak more plainly. And his preparation with them is to encourage them to remain steadfast in what he taught them so that they don't waver in their faith. Now I want you to realize, Jesus was doing this before he accomplished what he did on the cross. And so now today, we sit here as men and women who understand that Jesus went to the cross for you and I, that he might take the sins of mankind so that we can be free men and women and get to celebrate with him in eternity one day, amen? That is why you and I are here. That is why we celebrate God. But yet, we still find ourselves in the place similar to the disciples that we receive this kind of news. We have tragedy befall us or come our way, and all of a sudden, we become anxious. We become distraught. We focus on these current realities. You know, our lives can't compare to the disciples. These men and women that had been following Jesus, accepting that he is the Son of God, and and that they, they had no idea that their world would be completely rocked in what they understood about him. But yet, it would complete them in the message that he had taught them. Church for you. Our current reality should not change our eternal focus. It shouldn't change how we think about eternity. It shouldn't change how we carry about in our lives. In fact, Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But still yet in our weakness, we get get, uh, caught in grief and and immediately the the, the, the first thing that happens to us, our focus completely changes where we're in panic mode or we're taking our eyes off of God. Imagine receiving the news, and we've got some in this room that have received this before, that you have cancer and you only have so many months to live. What would change in your mind? where your focus might go. Imagine receiving the news that a loved one, maybe even a child, has passed away. These are real tragedies that that, that can happen to you and I, and yet I can still confidently tell you going through these tragedies that God is good. I want you to hear me out that no matter what we face still, I know that God is good. It's early 2008. Wendy and I—we uh, we had been senior pastors in Illinois for a little over a year. We had we had three boys, and uh, all of a sudden, Wendy is unexpectedly pregnant. And we, we, you know, you try and do things to stop that from happening, and clearly that wasn't good enough. And uh, we find out she's pregnant with twins. And we we get this news, and when we first get the news, we're we're devastated by it. We're like, God, we've got enough on our plate right now. What, What's going on? And uh, that devastation quickly turned to joy. And we started focusing on the future. And it, it was sometime thereafter that I had went out to see my brother in California. He and his family live out in California. And while I was there, I received a phone call from Wendy that she went to the hospital due to some complications and things that were happening. And as I'm 2,000 miles away, she tells me that she lost both twins. About 11, 12 weeks. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out what am I to do in this position that I'm in? I can't comfort her the way she needs comforted In this moment, my brother can't comfort me the way that I need comforted in that moment. And any comfort that someone tried to offer seemed meaningless at the time. And there are these moments in our lives that are true low points, church true low points where we ask God why, we don't understand why, and we wrestle and struggle with these thoughts, and I'm telling you that I can't make sense of all the trials and grief that we face, but I embrace that in everything, God has a purpose and that He is good. I embrace that. And so, I pray for that in each and every moment we face, that our current realities are lent an eternal perspective. So I want you to imagine just for a moment. Sometimes you need to close your eyes to focus on things like this. So if you need to do this exercise, do it. Close your eyes. Imagine that you're on a hike. And you get off trail. And you're standing in a thick forest. And here's a visual up on the screens just in case you need it. You're standing in this thick forest. And let's just say the forest canopy is so great you can't tell quite where the sun's at. And so all of a sudden you realize you don't know what direction you're pointed. And this forest seems to go on forever. Forever. So you're wondering, which way do I turn? What do I do? And maybe you start to panic. And if you're an experienced hiker, you know that the only way you can figure out what direction you're headed is to find a high point. So maybe you decide to climb the tallest tree that's there. Maybe you see that there's an elevation up ahead and you start walking toward that elevation so you can start figuring out what direction you're headed And so your goal is to find this horizon. And sometimes in the midst of these forests, it can feel like it is never going to end, but those difficulties are most often short-lived, or we can let it change the direction we're headed. And I encourage you to use wisdom and understanding and slow down and think about life before you just make some drastic decision. You can open your eyes. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus was taken as a matter of fact, Peter got distracted. One of, one of Jesus' disciples that he had his heart on his sleeve the whole time, "I'll do whatever you ask. Jesus, I am the one that's going to go first. I am the one that is going to show that I have the most faith for you in almost every step of the way. And then yet the moment Jesus gets taken, Peter, immediately, he, he coils back. And he's thinking, "Oh no. I'm next. I'm next." And so next thing you know, Peter is, is going through the streets and he's trying to hide and, and someone sees him and says, hey, wait a second, weren't you, weren't you one of those guys that followed Jesus? No, that's not me. I don't even know the man. And then two more times, Peter had the same exact thing happen. And you see how the, the, the immediate moment that tragedy came, Peter, his, his, his emotions steered his entire life. And immediately he's on the complete wrong path that he had been following for three straight years. It got so bad that even though Jesus found Peter right after he was raised from the dead, even though Jesus revealed himself to him, Jesus still found him fishing. And he went back to fishing. He went back to what he was doing before Christ changed his life. And church, these struggles that we face, you might be searching for the why. Why do these things happen? Like the, the age old question, why do these things happen to good people? I'm going to tell you. It's because of sin. And here's the thing: it's it's not it's not solely because of our sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Your sin can make a big mess of your life. Amen. Your sin can make a huge mess of your life. And so, so it is important for us, us to, to quickly repent, have, have that spirit of repentance that we quickly repent and seek God in each and everything that we do. But I am telling you that every bad thing that, that happens in this life is solely because of man introducing sin into the world. And I want to be clear about this. It's, it, it, it doesn't have to be your own sin for a bad thing to happen to you. But the natural blemish of sin and corruption it brings to the world will affect your life. So this is important, the next thing I'm going to say. God is not the cause of your turmoil. He is not the cause of your turmoil. we are we are we're the cause of our own turmoil but if you and i choose to embrace god's mapped out future for our lives the purpose in which that he sent his son and what he accomplished on that cross we don't have to linger in grief anymore are you hearing me any grief that we face we don't have to linger there Grief is going to come and we are going to have our moments, but we should not remain because our hope is different. And that's where even Jesus spells out in this passage today that our grief can turn to joy. Those sad moments in life. It can turn to joy. And Jesus can confidently say that because Jesus knew the outcome. And, and, you know, he went to that cross because he knew it would accomplish God's purpose. But it doesn't mean that he was looking forward to it. In fact, the most anguishing point in Jesus' life was just in a few days in the garden. But Jesus, being a God who knew no sin, To become sin, so that you and I might walk in freedom. Him being fully God and fully man, he had the insight to know what he was about to do for mankind. But the disciples needed to process the ultimate outcome, will bring us joy. See, here Jesus is warning them "A, a dark day is coming, it's going to be terrible. You're going to be in sorrow. The world's going to be happy about it. But don't lose sight of me. Don't lose sight of me. You know, Jesus, he, he starts to compare it to the pains of labor. Can I just say, you mothers amaze me. You amaze me. Especially the mothers that have had multiple children. Now, as a man, I can look at the ladies that have had one child and I'm like, you know what, That's enough. I, I went through some terrible moments. That's enough. And, and, and for, for some of you, you know, first time mothers as you went through it, you were probably thinking about what it was going to be like and not looking forward to those moments but looking forward still to the life that was inside of you. But yet I guarantee that moment you were lying in that bed, you were probably questioning everything. <laughs> and if the father was standing there, you might have even said, it's all your fault. But after the screaming subsided, after you were holding that little one, you looked upon that life, you saw the value, and you said it was worth it. It was worth it. You know, Jesus Christ saw the value in the suffering, He saw the value in the suffering. In Hebrews 12, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The joy that comes to you when you embrace the victory over death because of what He has done makes you be able to carry yourself with a different character because of Christ. That it doesn't matter what you've gone through, but, but you can walk in knowing that He has the ultimate victory. And here's the other hope that you can take to the bank. God has joy over you. You might need to write that down. God has joy over you. And if you seek Him, the joy that He has over you, it is going to give you strength. It is going to build you up. It enables you to go through the bad times. In the book of Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah. For those who don't, uh, who haven't heard before, um, when I was in the Dominican Republic, we we built a Christian school, and you know, about two times a year, I'm doing projects outside of the country where, where we go build something, and I'd I'd love to take some some men here to do that too. But uh, outside of this setting, I can call myself a builder. Now I don't always know what I'm doing, and I need direction. And that's why I bring talented people along with me to do that. But uh, Nehemiah was a builder. And Nehemiah, he's off in a different land, and, and he gets word of the state of Jerusalem. That for 90 years, after it had been taken captive, 90 years, the walls still aren't built. And it pains him. And even the position he's in, and he, he, he's in a high-ranking position. And so he goes to the king and he says, will you, will you permit me to go focus my attention on my home? And so he lets him go there. And, and Nehemiah, he, he's, he is persuading people and he builds this team. And he has, he has this team of builders with him that is focused on building the walls to fortify the city yet again. And during that time, there were plots from outsiders, people to kill him and his men and all those that worked with him. And, and as all these men are distraught over the thought that, that it's just going to happen all yet again, we're going to be held captive yet again, these, these men are going to come in, they're going to kill us, they're going to kill our families, and they're going to take over our town. This was Nehemiah's response in chapter 8, verse 10. He said, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is is your strength. This is what ultimately Nehemiah is saying. He is saying that you need to stand firm. God is on your side and He will get you through. And the difference between Nehemiah and his men and the ones who were taken captive before is they were standing in the truth of the Lord and the foundation of the Lord where the previous generations were not. And so they were proclaiming that as long as God is on our side, no one can be against us. And listen to what Isaiah 41.10 says, because this should reinforce that in you as well. It says, whatever you go through, God is asking you to keep focused on what He has done and what lies ahead. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's why we hold on to this. Because God delights over you. I might need to say that again so you really embrace it. God delights over you. Guess what? You might not like what you see in the mirror. You might have others around you that tell you what you look like and they put you down. That's not my God. That's not my God. When He looks at you, He sees His creation. He sees something that is fearfully and wonderfully made. And He knows that each and every one of His creation are His children. And so you can embrace that and you can hold on to that. You can hold on to that. He loves you and cares for you. And He walks with you in your grief. Because He knows it's temporary. Church, doesn't this give you hope? Doesn't give, it, it should renew your strength knowing that whatever you're going through, this too shall pass. I know that if I'm lost in a forest, if I'm in the middle of the forest, if I walk long enough, I'm going to get out of it. Right? Eventually you're going to hit ocean. And when we're walking through it, it's hard to have that kind of Hindsight. But granted, every one of your past trials looks different when you're out of it and you can look back on it. And you can remember what it did in your life at that time. So that's the last thing I want to talk about today is we need to walk with hindsight. We need to walk with hindsight in our life. I honestly believe that the disciples didn't embrace going through the events of Christ being taken, Christ being crucified, Christ being resurrected. They didn't process and embrace all those events until the ascension. Because at the ascension, next thing you know, everything that he had taught him clicked in a moment. And all of a sudden, they were remembering the words of Christ where even at this stage in Christ's ministry in our text today, Christ is frustrated with them because it's like, I told you guys this over and over and over again, and yet you don't seem to get it. But the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, they remembered Christ telling them to wait there because he was going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And ten days later, it happened. See, in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit comes and fills all the people in the upper room, Peter went from being the denier, the one who's ashamed just 54 days ago, to fulfilling his destiny. And Peter steps out from that upper room as thousands are gathered for a festival outside there. And they've been mocking and making fun of what's going on in the house. And he steps out. And in his strength and purpose boldly proclaims, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if they repent of their sin, they can have freedom and renewal in Christ Jesus. And He does this so boldly that thousands come to accept Jesus Christ that day. And granted, this is the man that 54 days ago was saying, I don't know that man. Look what God can do. In the middle of the trial. Peter had a crisis of faith. But after being redirected by Jesus, once he was resurrected, reminded of everything that Jesus had taught him, looking back on Jesus' accomplishments, he finally understood to the point that Peter preached Christ until he himself was crucified. And recognized he could not be Jesus. He could not be treated in the same manner as Jesus. So he said, crucify me upside down. Because I don't deserve to die in the same manner that my Savior did. Let me tell you a little something about Peter. Peter was a man of intensity. And everything he did was with intensity. I've been around some pretty intense people, you know, going on these trips all over the world and having new guys join us. I'll have guys that come out of the gate and they're just ready to tackle everything. And there I am just trying to remain consistent. And sure enough, those same men, they are whipped like a dog about five days in. And there I am. I'm like, man, we still got work to be done. What are you doing? Peter was intense, but those intensities, those moments where we do everything based out of emotion, it is short-lived. But I am telling you, church, if you remain consistent, if you remain focused, if you keep your eyes focused on an eternal perspective, you aren't going to allow your emotions to sway you to and fro when bad things happen. Because what I can tell you is the, the, the harm that Christianity has done today is the church in America has tried to tell you that anything bad, that happens to you must either A, mean that you have done something bad or God is not for you and that is complete garbage. You have to keep your focus on Christ and your emotions in check. And it's easier said than done. But if we prepare ourselves for it, as Christ was preparing His disciples, you're going to face these things. It is in those moments that we can breathe deep and say, okay, God's on my side. God's on my side. The joy that Jesus spoke of in verses 22 through 23 Is not just because his disciples were going to see them again and they could hold on to that promise, but Jesus was saying, You are going to have profound supernatural joy because of what I am going to accomplish on the cross is going to renew your relationship with God the Father. You and I don't understand that dynamic. We don't understand what it's like to not have a relationship where we can go directly to God because of Jesus Christ. They did. And so Jesus said in verses 23 through 24, listen to this. He says, at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. This is when they found joy. You won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly. And he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Church, you and I can have joy because God hears our prayers, amen? God hears our prayers, and He grants your request because He loves you. There is a benefit in your life to knowing the Lord and his plan. There's a benefit in your life to knowing the Lord and his plan. And oftentimes when people are searching for a plan, they're thinking, okay, God, what do you have for me next week? God, I'm speaking to the youth right now, God, who are you going to have for me to marry? You know, we have have those kind of thoughts. Lord, what future job do I have in store? You know, we, we think that way. But the plans that God has for you is greater than the way our minds think about worldly things. It's not so much about what you're going to do next week, what job you might get. And He does care about those things. I will say that. You know, a favorite verse of many is Jeremiah 29.11. In fact, You probably don't even need to look it up, you probably know it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not of evil. God doesn't want you to experience disaster. He wants to give you this future and hope, right? Now when God wrote that, do you know God wrote that to people in captivity? His people were in captivity at the time. And he says, for I know the plans that I have for you. And he's saying, I know there are good. I know you have a future and I know you have a hope. And I can only imagine them receiving that and saying, oh yeah? It doesn't look like it. They might have even said to God, look around. Look at what's going on. yet you say there's future and hope in this? And there are times where God speaks these things and through our our such minute worldly thinking, they can seem hollow. It might seem hollow with a human mindset. Or maybe it brings just a little glimmer of hope. Maybe you hear these things and there's still a shred of doubt that God's going to get you through whatever you're going through. And church, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I am telling you, we cannot allow ourselves to get so blinded by short-term problems that we lose all eternal hope. And many of us do that. And church, if there's anything I can tell you, and I know it's easy to say, don't be that person that allows yourself to get blinded by these short-term problems. See, God, what He wants to do is He wants you to be completely released, completely free of this burden. And most of all, He wants you free of being bound to your emotions and just trusting in Him. So today, as I ask you to just bow your head, close your eyes, I want you to have a moment with the Lord. Don't waste this opportunity to completely give that burden to Him. You have an opportunity this morning to allow God to fill you with, restre- with, with His strength, to restore you and make you joyous over what He has done and not be trapped by the current things that you are going through. It's true that if we, if we go to Him He carries our burdens. He lifts them up. It doesn't say that in every case He takes them away. But He allows us to get through them because He is carrying the weight of that burden.